Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. And I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So on today's episode, uh, we're taking a recommendation from a listener, but instead of like a two-month series or something, we're making it into one episode. So uh, pretty sure your friend Manny suggested this a long time ago when we were asking for like themed month recommendations. Uh, he, he called out Seven Deadly Sins. Uh, but as I said, instead of doing like one per episode, we're just going to crank them all out in an individual episode. So uh, there really isn't much that we have to get out of the way by way of introduction. Uh, so why don't we jump right in? Uh, so these seven deadly sins, as they're known, uh, you know, come up from time to time in conversation, maybe not so much in uh, Protestant circles. Uh, certainly in Catholic circles, you'll hear these uh, referred to by this name far more frequently. Uh, but apparently this classification originated with the Desert Fathers, especially, I'm going to butcher this, I'm so sorry, uh, wherever you are, mister, but uh, Evagrius Evagrius Ponticus. We'll, we'll roll with it. Uh, he was one of the Desert Fathers, I guess, uh, and he identified seven or eight, depends on who you talk to, uh, evil thoughts or spirits that are to be overcome. Um, and so throughout history, over the centuries, these have been condensed and uh, talked about further. And, and as I mentioned, especially in Catholicism, in the, in the Catholic Church, um, we have these seven deadly sins. And then you sort of like have their inverse, like these good things that you can do to overcome the seven deadly sins. But the, the reason that they're called seven deadly sins, because these are the seven sins that are, quote unquote, the most deadly in that they are the root of all other sins. Um, so we'll, we'll give examples as we go. But if you think of something like lust, lust leads to adultery, lust leads to fornication, lust leads to rape, for example. So like those are sins that find their root cause in what is being called lust. So that's why they're called the seven deadly sins. Uh, so why don't we jump into the, the seven? Uh, mm -hmm. Lucas, you want to give us our first one? Yeah, so... This isn't necessarily in a certain order. Uh, you know, I'm sure there is out there like different orders and as as time, you know, has gone on from the, their origination back in um, the thought of people like Evagrius and, and others, um, they've definitely become a little more systematized and standardized. So this might be, if, if you're familiar with this list, it might be in a different order or it might not be, not totally sure on that. But we're going to kick it off with gluttony. Which, because these seven deadly sins are or have played uh, a really big role at different points in, in history in terms of the church's sort of way of classifying different sins, um, they've, they've also played a really big cultural role in, um, certainly in our culture, um, and I think broadly speaking, those cultures that have been that have been more influenced by Christianity. Like it, 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 you might not be able to get someone on the street to list all seven. You know, I, I probably couldn't like on the spot, but you'd probably be hard pressed to find someone who's never heard of the seven deadly sins. Right. And, and also probably each of the seven deadly sins is something that we've all heard of 
talked about um, even if it, even if it's not in the specific context of this grouping, like gluttony. You know, we all are probably familiar with at least in the abstract what gluttony is. We can kind of think of it as overindulgence, overconsumption. Um, you know, when I remember being a kid, <laughs> being told gluttony is is eating uh, like eating until you're hungry and then or eating until you're not hungry anymore and then eating more, <laughs> which is probably a ver- uh, a little bit of a simplistic definition but i also think it's probably a pretty good definition (laughs) at least as a baseline um because i i think it gives a good image of of what it is that we've all experienced i mean we've all had we've all been really hungry or been to some you know delicious you know maybe a holiday gathering with incredible food and we just don't want to stop eating but we're not eating because of we're not using the food for what it was created, which is to to rejoice and to fellowship and to nourish our bodies. But we're going beyond that. And we're simply continuing to indulge our sensual appetites as, you know, the taste or the smell or, you know, whatever. Um, and I also think food is the easiest place to see gluttony and and in uh in action so to speak but it's certainly not the only place that we can think of over indulging right um and i think if you if you say if you define gluttony as overindulging then i think it's easy to see gluttony in a lot more places and i think it's also easy to see some overlap with some of the other sins and um the other things related to some of these other deadly sins as we'll go on, right. um, just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. So, And one, one um, thing to note, I mean, it's not like gluttony is like if you eat 112 cups of whatever. I mean, there's no like actual way to physically define the limit of gluttony because it's going to be different from person to person. You know, to, to overconsume, to overindulge is going to differ from, but even between Lucas and I. Um, but like like you said, it, it isn't just relegated to food. could also be Netflix. You can certainly overconsume something like tv and movies if that's all that you ever do it's a it's a form of gluttony it's a it's an overconsumption. Um, but yeah again it's going to differ from person to person um, you know different people are going to have different consciences about you know even if i watch an hour of tv is that mm-hmm. overconsumption for me um, so some of it's gonna you know have a, a little bit of variance but uh, the the next one on the list i already mentioned but we'll highlight it anyway is is lust um, this is usually thought of as you know think of like an intense unbridled sexual desire which might lead to fornication adultery rape uh, bestiality other sinful sexual acts Um, this is this is one that uh, this is like a really easy one to to i think identify one that we uh, especially when we think about what it's a deadly sin is it's easy to see the uh, the effects so to speak you know you can think of things like pornography or um you know, stuff that happens on college campuses and, um, you know, all these really sad and just um, disheartening things. And uh, they all find their their root cause here, this this intense, um, you know, maybe even for some people it's not intense, but uh, th- this desire for uh, sexual gratification, uh, maybe sexual intimacy, but they go about it in ways that circumvent the created order as far as, you know, in, in marriage. So um, that's the short and sweet, if you can even say that version of, of lust here. Yeah. And again, I think it's really easy to see 
this. If we think about our own experience, think about advertisements, think about the internet, think about the the day-to-day experience living in, you know, our contemporary culture that we live in. And it's 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 a very I don't I don't know how unique this is throughout history in terms of the actual like mindset of people, but certainly in terms of the vast and pervasive spread of information, kind of like we were talking about in our social media episode recently, like um, certainly unique in that respect, just in terms of the constant exposure and access to hyper-sexualized images, not even just uh, thoughts or concepts, like like in a book or a play or something, but but, you know, actual, you know, we have photographs and video, which people didn't used to have. And so I think it's, again, just, this is a very obviously kind of in your face sin that that is not um, it's not a it's not a, an unusual thing to come across whether whether you're thinking about your own life or just thinking about more more big picture like um, the world around us and stuff and um, I think that's probably going to be a theme so I'll stop just you know <laughs> saying that over and over again but the, the next one would be greed um, which is a pretty um, even more so than words like gluttony and lust, it's probably a little more of an everyday word, hmm. e- even if people aren't thinking about it in terms of uh, categories like sin. Um, we, all, we all know what greed is. We can think of, um, you know, covetousness, being being jealous. Well, covetous is a better word. Jealous, maybe not, maybe has a better, a more positive meaning, at least in terms of its definition, maybe not its use. But um we think of being, you know, this is kind of where both gluttony and lust start to overlap with greed when we think of what greed actually looks like. If I'm, if I'm experiencing greed with respect to money or with respect to material possessions, like, you know, I really like my, um, my book collection or whatever, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm greedy, I'm covetous, I'm, I'm whatever, um, it's almost like a gluttony an experience of gluttony in a different context, right? I'm we, we we might not say that someone you know is gluttonous for money. We might say they're greedy for money, um, but there's a very common thread of desire between the three that we've mentioned so far: gluttony, lust, and greed. That doesn't they're they're not identical, obviously, but there is a lot of overlap in this disordered, you know, misordered. That's not really a word, but um, de- uh, desire for for whatever it might be, whether it's food or whether it's um, whether it's sex or whether it's money or some kind of material possession, um, and this also has a very uh, very real impact on other people around us that we might not always think about when we think of what it means to hoard money or material. Uh, goods or resources such as particularly if we think back it might not be as obvious in our own world but if we think back to um, previous centuries where there there's maybe not as much technology society is more um, agricultural and food is 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 something that's much more like it's obvious if you have food or not you know like like your barn would be empty if you didn't have you, you know versus us Oh, my fridge is low. Let me run out to the grocery store or the gas station because I just need like a gallon of milk or something. But it's like, oh no, my cow, you know, I don't have enough 
food for my cow, so it can't produce milk. <laughs> so I can't have milk for this year or whatever. You know, like it's it. It might be a little more obvious to see this in different in different historical contexts, but I think of um, a book I believe we've mentioned on air, and then and, and also we've we've sort of made a semi-official so- social media promise a couple months ago to do an episode on it, which we haven't gotten to yet. But um, in St. Basil the Great's On Social Justice collection oh, yeah. of, of homilies, um, he he flat out says that that if you're if you're hoarding money and and goods, food, um, you you from the poor, um, you are a murderer. And he's he's he makes no bones about it, and, and we're not going to get into that now. We'll, we'll do not that yet. Later, just but, wait. I can't wait. Yeah, <laughs> we will. We will. We will get to that, but just not right here. Right. Um. But but we see this this uh when when we see people in need, and I'm saying we, you know, this this could be anyone seeing someone in need that you are capable of of assisting, um, and not doing it, uh, I think is at the very least related to greed. You know. Maybe in your mind, it's not a direct, you know, expression of a sense of greed. Um, but at the end of the day, when, you know, when we're talking about something like money or we're talking about something like uh, food or whatever the case may be, um, I don't think it's a very, you know, I, I don't think it's quite a, a far leap to say that our own gre- individual greed for our material possessions and especially for us, our, our comforts. Um, and luxuries, not not even just needs, um, directly lead to how we interact with other people who are in greater need than we are. Um, so greed, I think, is a really obvious one. And there are also maybe some less obvious implications of greed that come out um, in in certain you know conversations that that may, might not be super uh, common when we think of greed as more like you know the um, for some reason, all I can think of, I don't know if anyone's listening has seen this movie or if you've seen it, but um, I think the movie's just called Wall Street, Gordon Gecko, hmm. um, the like villain guy. Um, you know, I just, just you know, the, the, the Wolf of Wall Street kind of guy, like you think, you think of greed, like, but it's more than that. You know, it's certainly not less than that, but it is more than that. And hmm. I think that um, it, it's helpful to, to, to think about that, you know, not just limited to super rich people right right right. because we can all be greedy like anybody can be greedy (laughs) but i mean there are some pretty strong words found in scripture towards the rich uh, for this very reason right i mean this is why and and to basil's point too like the the things that happen as we accumulate as we become gluttonous as we lust for money i mean again we can kind of sort of use these words interchangeably even though they are talking about different things and um i don't know yeah let's let's roll to the next one um the 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 next on our list anyway is pride and again this is one that i think we use pretty often in our in our common vernacular um we're not necessarily talking about pride in the sense of like lgbtq um scenarios but we're talking about i guess the original and most serious of the seven deadly sins. Um, it's, it's thought to even be the source of, of, of all sin, but it is a, a, a dangerously corrupt selfishness, uh, the putting of one's own desires, urges, wants, and whims before the welfare of other people, 
So again, you can even see some of the interplay between pride and greed. You know, think of the the wealthy elites in our country and in our world um, being so prideful that they put their own desires and wants and whims before the welfare of the hungry, the starving, the downtrodden. Um, and even in, I guess, more destructive cases, it is irrationally believing that one is essentially uh, and necessarily better or superior or more important than others. And maybe this means failing to acknowledge the, the accomplishments of others um, or maybe a, an excessive admiration of the, the personal image or personal self. Um, but, you know, you can think of pride. Um, you can think of things like, like racism. You can think of, um, you know, you can things... There, there's so many things that we can be prideful and, and boastful in. Uh, but, you know, maybe it's in our um, our heritage or in uh, our wisdom or knowledge or the the degrees that we hold or whatever it might be. But it's it's this it's this idea where we're, we're elevating ourselves and at the same time minimizing others. We're, we're putting this chasm uh, between people who are fellow image bearers, who are who are fellow, especially within the church. When pride seeps into the church, it, I mean, it's a great problem because we're. Uh, we're, we're elevating and lowering uh, the the body of Christ, the one that, you know, you can't say to the hand, I have no need for you. Um, but that's what we do when we are prideful. We, we in, in a sense, say that, you know, because I'm an eye or because I'm a hand, I have a greater function than the spleen or armpit hair or something. I don't know. I'm just now I'm just saying stupid stuff. But like you, you get my point. You get the, 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 the image continues and it works that uh, that pride when it when it begins to seep in. Uh, it sort of has this nefarious undertone to it. And, and, and the reason that it's thought to be sort of the, the original and most serious of these um, is because, you know, pride, in a sense, we thought that we were, you know, smarter than God. We thought that we knew what was best for us. We, we began to uh, believe that we had all the answers or whatever. So we, you know, we, we put our desires our urges, our wants, our whims before before that of uh, our brothers and sisters. So that that in a sense is pride. Um, not sure if you had anything else you wanted to add there, but that that's sort of pride in a nutshell. No, yeah. I mean, I just think that it really is important and helpful to view this as sort of the chief sin, the chief the 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 root, the sort of head sin, and and we see this in in the fall of. of you know, Satan and, and in Genesis three and the temptations to, um, take, you know, sort of take our own wisdom into our own hands as opposed to, uh, resting in God's plan and following, um, what he had laid out as the path of, of wisdom. Um, and I think a lot, uh, you know, as you were talking and as I was just thinking about this more in general, like I, I think of, um, Philippians two, and not only sort of the the reverse uh, that that you know the reverse of Satan that we see in in Christ, who despite the fact that he was God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, and also, right before then, you know, the reason that Paul launches into this great Christological passage in Philippians two is because he's he's exhorting the Philippians to have that same mindset that Jesus had with each other to not consider uh, your, um, themselves more worthy than others or hmm. more important or hmm. um, their own needs to be, to be uh, more, you know, 
worthwhile concerns or more pressing. Um, and I think that whether we're talking about the relationship between Christians, you know, fellow Christians in the church, or whether we're talking about the relations between individuals with their friends or spouses or family or, or work relations or whatever it is, um, you know, sound like a broken record, but it's not hard to see how pride seeps into and disrupts those relationships. Um, whether you're just a generally prideful person or you just have a particular, you know, like a specific remark or something, it's not hard to see the, the, um, the rifts that that can cause if it's, if it's not something that is, that is checked and that is, you know, fought against. Um, because when it's all about, when it's all about me, then it, then there's, there's no, there's, there's not really an ability to have a relationship hmm. with others, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, I'm also thinking of in C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, everyone in hell is constantly getting sick of their neighbors and just moving further and further and further and further and further apart. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that the point Lewis is specifically making is about, is about pride, you know, on its own, but I think it's, it's a pretty, it, it seems pretty logical to me to, to see the way that pride kind of does that to us here in this life, you know. Um, at least in small ways and obviously not necessarily permanently if we're if we're repentant if we're um, you know able to humble ourselves and be humbled by God and every all of that but um, I think that pride is probably the biggest you know it it's easy to it's easy to look at our culture here in the United States and look at gluttony or look at lust as sort of like these like uh, what's the word like like really characteristic of our culture but Mm -hmm. i i can't help but despite the fact that yes i think we live in a ridiculously gluttonous and lustful and greedy culture um at the end of the day i think a lot of it at the root really is sort of comes from our pride um our our sense of ourself as as autonomous individuals that are that are disconnected from everyone else and our identity our needs our um, value is all not only self-chosen and self-identified, but it's it's I have a I have a I can place a demand on you to recognize and um, accept whatever it is that I choose, and I think that's a really I you know I I, I haven't really thought this through all the way, but I think that's a very prideful thing. Hmm. Whether we're talking about our sexuality, whether we're talking about our, um, you know, the the strata of society socioeconomically that we come from, or our own, um, you know, just like the the quote unquote communities that we identify with based on our hobbies or our interests, which or theology. having hobbies and yeah, ha- yeah, our theological tribe or our, our church uh, uh, that we go to or that we're a part of or whatever, and obviously like you know, read theology and have hobbies and interests that you uh, collect with others around and, and have shared friendships and around it. But I'm not saying that's bad, but I'm saying like, I get to say like, oh, I am this kind of person. This is my identity. I am choosing it. It's me. It's, it's you know, capital I there. And and that's what's first. It, it's the, the opposite of what I was just referencing from Paul in, in Philippians 2, 
where it's not putting others first. It's putting me first. And sure, I have to accept what what everyone else says about themselves, but the basis of that comes from them accepting me, right? Right. Um, and along with this, I failed to mention, and I think it's just worth highlighting, along with pride is a refusal to acknowledge one's own limits, faults, or wrongs as a human being. Mm-hmm. Like that seems sure. to be something we really struggle yeah. with, whether it's blame shifting, uh, whether that's uh, making excuses or whatever. But like that's also a part of pride. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. Um, so the next one we'll, we'll hit is envy, um, which this is the one that, that, you know, we might think, oh, envy or jealousy. But, you know, jealousy, I think in older English, maybe had a little more of a positive or neutral meaning compared mm. to something like envy, which is which is more just sort of the, the way we use jealousy today. But we think of the, um, what is it? Is it? It's the 10th commandment, right? That to, to not um, covet right your your neighbor's wife or 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 uh uh their possessions yeah right possessions whatever um like so this is this is nothing new you know for those of us reading the bible that that envy is bad um and i don't know i feel like envy is one of those things that you know in my own life I, i i i can't necessarily say that this is something that i i struggle with as much as something like pride or greed or gluttony or lust. But I do think that envy leaves you so just empty and sad mm. in a way that is much more obvious. I, I think the same is true of the other sins we've talked about. Um, but it, it's maybe more in your face mm. with envy, I think, to, to look around at others and constantly be seeing things or experiences or personalities or whatever that you that you see around you as something that other people have that you wish you had like that's that's like an intrinsically sort of you know like that experience is defined by feeling empty in relation to others the other experiences i feel like or the other sins are maybe more defined by filling yourself or trying to fill yourself and then finding yourself empty where this one is kind of it's telling you that you are empty so what you need to do is look to others in this sinful, dehumanizing way of mm. envying their, you know, accomplishments, uh, personality traits, possessions, whatever, it, whatever it might be. Um, well, so and that's I, another one. Yeah, you know, I was just gonna say I actually like as I was preparing this episode, I had a hard time differentiating the difference between greed and envy. Like in my mind, anyway, they seem mm. somewhat synonymous, um, but I think you're you're hitting oh, at a really a good way to like differentiate them, because um, like greed is almost like an abstract. It doesn't necessarily have to be towards someone else. Um, like greed can just be a, a desire for things or for mm. whatever it might be, money, possessions. But like envy is like a a special kind of greed, almost like mm. it's a it's an insatiable desire where. Where we do want traits or possessions or experiences or or whatever of our brothers and sisters, and I think that's what partially makes it somewhat more insidious. Is like you know greed can lead to envy, um, and then envy can yeah. lead to pride or wrath or whatever. But it's 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 really yeah. interesting as we're talking about this to sort of see all the interconnected like overlap that these have. Yeah, they're they're incredibly interconnected, and like I would maybe if we're talking about like money as an example, like 
if I'm if I'm greedy for money, I'm looking at like my bank account, right? But if I'm if I'm envious for money, I'm looking at your bank account. Right, right. Whatever. That's a good way. Yeah. Um, but obviously there you know, again, there's this there's this thread of desire being being misplaced, disordered, put you know, put in uh, desiring things in the wrong way that is that's really that 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 ties all of these different sins together even even as they have different focuses or, or slightly different nuances but um they, they are definitely closely interwoven by that that thread of desire as as we've we've kind of seen hmm. um just as we're as we're talking through them even yeah yeah well, the, the next one here, we have just two left. Uh, the, the second to last one that we'll talk about is uh, known as wrath. Uh, this is a word that I think we're somewhat familiar with as Christians, especially maybe not in popular culture necessarily, but uh, it can be defined as uncontrolled feelings of anger, rage, hatred. Um, and even those things can be associated with greater ills and greater sins like, like murder. Uh, I mean, Jesus basically equates having anger within your heart towards a brother um, is like murdering him. Um, and again, to see the interconnectedness here, to, for, for Cain, for example, Cain kills Abel, right? The, the pride that, um, that billowed up within him led to wrath, led to anger, rage, hatred, murder. Um, and and this, is, this is one that I think especially the, the extremes of it, maybe most people don't necessarily suffer uh, or, or struggle with, uh, but we can all understand what it means to, to be un, unjustifiably angry. You know, someone cuts us off in traffic or uh, the dad that just never seems to be pleased and is always yelling at his kids and uh, abusing his wife or whatever. Um, these things uh, crop up everywhere. I mean, maybe it's in leadership, uh, you know, a, a pastor or a, a CEO um, that just, see, I mean, I think of people like Mark Driscoll or James McDonald, these people who are, were accused of some really um, serious anger issues and um, having uncontrolled rage. Um, it, it's a really insidious thing because it, it, it not only infects our own soul, infects our own lives, uh, but it does serious damage to another. Whereas some of these other ones don't necessarily like we could say lust can, um, but like greed, for example, um, envy, like a lot of that can just be like an internal, like within your own head, within your own heart. Uh, but when we have anger and rage, it's manifested against another person and, and can uh, be acted upon on that person. So, you know, we think of like, again, abuse or um, even, I mean, even just getting yelled at, like how many of you have ever been yelled at by a boss or by a customer? And, and it's just like, it's really hard. You're, you're embarrassed, you're uncomfortable, you're sad. And oftentimes we remember those things more than the polite compliment we got. Like, I, you know, I'm thinking of like examples where I worked in customer service where, um, you know, someone's really mad and angry and storms off and yells at me. I can think of like 10 different examples of that happening, like concrete examples. And I can think of maybe like one or two, like really good customer service examples. So even from like that perspective, like our, our anger and, and, and wrath uh, can have a profound impact upon people, um, which again, makes it particularly problematic and really insidious, I guess. 
Yeah. I don't, I don't honestly don't think I have anything else to add. Yeah. Add to that. So we'll just move on. The last one is sloth, um, which is not laziness. Like, like I've always kind of struggled in my head to, to really like grab, like wrap my head around how to sort of differentiate these two because they're not the same thing. Um, laziness is a sin also, <laughs> but, um, but I, but it's it's not really true to say that sloth is laziness. Like if you're like explaining this to someone and you're like, oh yeah, and this one is is sloth or laziness because it's really, I feel like it's closer to apathy. Hmm. M- might be a, a, a something that we're a little more familiar with in terms of how to if we're looking for synonyms, um, more so than like specifically laziness. Like, oh, I'm I'm refusing to you know go get a job to help pay the bills because i just don't want to i'd rather just play video games all day right like that's something a little bit different i think than being slothful um in in the summa thomas uh mentions or or explains sloth as sorrow about spiritual good which is which is kind of i feel like it's kind of a little out there definition um compared to our like daily experience since we're not necessarily thinking about things as spiritually as as we should maybe but um like the the indifference that you that you experience like like in it would looking back at like church history if we read people like thomas aquinas and and you know people who are coming from monastic communities if, if we read them writing about sloth maybe the the closest experience that we as 21st century american christians or, or wherever you are experience is like if you've ever had a season um, going to, to church, you, you, you don't stop going to church. You don't stop going to youth group. You don't stop being involved. You don't stop uh, reading your Bible or praying. But, you know, like in youth group, you know, growing up, you know, we'd always talk about like dry seasons or whatever. And it's just, it's hard to pray. Not because you're not doing it, but because you just like, you can't really, you're not, you're not really feeling it. You know, and I don't mean in the sense of like you're not having these profound emotional experiences. I just mean like it's just kind of like blah, hmm. right? Yeah. You know, I it's not that I don't believe in God or believe in prayer, but it's just kind of like it's it's tough to really feel like I, I'm I'm accomplishing anything or that I'm really talking with God. Or right. I read the Bible and it just it's just I, I I'm not I'm not learning. I I'm not being being moved. I I don't feel any sort of you know like. Uh, encouragement or exhortation or, or or conviction i go to church and it's just i'm just there you know this sort of this sort of apathy um which, which is why I, I just i feel like that's a better way to think about it than laziness because right. if you were lazy you would just not go to church or not read your bible because it's easier to sleep in an extra hour than you know wake up early so that you have time to pray right, right. it's 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 easier to just not go to church on sunday and play video games than it is to go you know what i mean so it's like um there's a little bit of a difference there but obviously this doesn't necessarily limit itself to spiritual things i think that well not you know i don't like separating spiritual (laughs) and non-spiritual but like what i mean is like things that are overtly religious right like reading the bible praying going to church um those are probably the most important things (laughs) that we can experience sloth in or or um, deal with those feelings of slothfulness but the same thing is true of our our normal day-to-day work and the same thing is true of of um our time with with family and friends or or, or hobbies or whatever it might be yeah 
Um, even if even we, we can be very busy people and still be apathetic and slothful, right? Um, and it's one thing to be in a funk, and it's one thing to be dealing with a lot of anxiety. So when you go to work, you know, because you've got a bunch of stuff going on in your personal life, and then you go to work and it's hard to focus. So work is, you, you know, that's one thing. Um, but it's another thing to be to 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 just be sort of wallowing in this apathetic spirit. Um, and to not see it as a problem, yeah. You know, to, to to not be to not be examining it and being like, what's going on here? You know, what can I change? What do I need to change? In what ways am I responsible for this? Just sort of like coasting through instead of actually serving, um, working and and serving as though I'm serving God in in all things and rejoicing always. You know. You know, we think of the alternative sort of lifestyle that the Bible paints for us. Um, not that life is going to be perfect all the time or good all the time, um, but it's not a it's not a coasting apathetic lifestyle or attitude, right? Um, and yeah, so I feel like in some ways this is the toughest one, just because I think there are legitimately not slothful manifestations of things like being in a funk, you know, right or or having a bad day, but it's one thing to have a bad day. It's another thing to like, you know, a year goes by and you haven't like made any serious efforts in your prayer life, like at all. I mean, maybe it's another like good that, way to, at that point, it's like, what's, you know, it, it's time to examine. Right. Right. <laughs> why that's the case. I mean, maybe another good way to put it. I like, I like the word apathy. Cause I also had, a, I struggled with this one too. Um, one thing we didn't mention in the beginning is that, you know, this being an older thing, you know, we, we mentioned the Desert Fathers, like these were originally produced in Greek. Um, the Greek word that we use here for sloth, literally, like the the linguistic construction of the word is without care. It's like, I don't know how to speak Greek, but it's ah is the prefix and the suffix is the word care. So no care. Um, so you can think of, you know, apathy is another good way to put that, but you could think of a, a father or a husband who um, just does not care. Who's, who's more content to, uh, you know, come home and, and play video games or be self-indulgent while neglecting the needs of his wife or his kids or his neighbor. Um, so in, in a, in a different sense, um, you know, it, 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 it does have a lot of, again, connection and inner interplay with these other things. Um, but it's especially problematic when it turns into the things that we find within the church, you know. So if you're if you're slothful or without care when it comes to, like you said, prayer, scripture reading, meditation, caring for the poor, whatever it might be, um, like I think that's getting more to the root of what sloth means again, as opposed to like you said, maybe just laziness, because that's a whole different thing. Yeah. So that's the seven deadly sins, and. You know, we tried to kind of, as we t- talked about what they are, also kind of point out, you know, where we see them crop up in our own experiences as as individuals and as members of, of this culture. And, and hopefully this is, you know, if you're like me and you can never remember all seven of them, hopefully this is helpful to <laughs> sort of think through the the things that, that, that tempt us and that assail us as, you know, as, as uh, we strive to live holy lives. And... Um, you know, maybe it's just a reminder to think through the things that we are prone to um, falling into. Yeah. Because um, a lot of these are are very, um, can be very habitual things mm. uh, that that are that might be easy to sort of overlook if we're not paying attention. Right. Um, 
Well, I mean, the at last least I know I've had that experience with with all of these at different times in my life. So, right. Um, yeah. I mean, the last thing that I thought I'd say, um, the, the way that I've liked to think, of, the, the way that I've been liking thinking about these, uh, you know, I, I think back to like when I was in, in youth group, for example, and, you know, you talk about uh, pornography or sex or lying or whatever these things are, whatever sins that you're currently struggling with, quote unquote, um, you know, in, in my head, it was the, the thing that you would do is just like, okay, well, stop watching porn or stop lying or whatever it was, right? Um, but the problem was, and this is something that like a youth pastor sort of explained to me, is you're not actually getting to the root of that sin. To just cut off the sin isn't actually dealing with the problem. And I think these, even if they're not the perfect solution, are a really good window into that root problem. It's a really good way to look at like, okay, so my desire f- to lie or my desire to, um, you know, watch pornography or, or, or whatever, whatever manifest, whatever sin is manifesting has a root cause that's deeper than that. Uh, maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's envy or lust, whatever it might be. Um, so exploring those depths can be a really um, helpful thing as you're uh, navigating this road, as you're repenting, as you're seeking to put uh, sin to death. So that's that's where I wanted to leave it. For sure. And since we're talking about sins for the prayer today, I figured we would pray the prayer of confession from the communion service in the 1662 Book of Common Prayer. So let's pray. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all men, we acknowledge and bewail our manifold sins and wickedness, which we from time to time most grievously have committed by thought, word, and deed against thy divine majesty, provoking most justly thy wrath and indignation against us. We do earnestly repent and are heartily sorry for these our misdoings. The remembrance of them is grievous unto us. The burden of them is intolerable. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For thy Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that we may ever hereafter serve and please thee in newness of life, to the honor and glory of thy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Doxology Podcast and listening today. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. You can also reach us by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, ideas for future episodes, um, or just to chat and just connect in some other way. Um, You can also, in our social media uh, bios and stuff, there will be links where you can purchase t-shirts to go you know, support us and you get to wear a totally rad shirt with a really cool podcast logo on it because it's a doxology t-shirt. So that's what it is. You know, Um, if you'd like to to go above and beyond and support us in that way, those links are available in our social media um, uh, accounts to our Teespring shop. Um, but that's definitely above and beyond. Thanks to everybody for the support, the continued support. Um, we're having uh, a really amazing experience just getting to share our conversations with so many of you that we never thought we would ever uh, get to do. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing or liking our posts or whatever it is that you, that you do. We, we really appreciate it. And until next time, we will see you. Peace. Peace.